Thank you so much, Kurt Bradburn. Take your Bible with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This morning, I talked about the fact that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. My enemy's not uh, a lost person. They're not my enemy. Now, we do have, there is a reality that we have enemies as American citizens. As citizens of our great nation, we have enemies. America is coming increasingly under attack. I read the news several times a day and uh, read about the attack on the uh, United States Air Force Base in Jordan uh, that took place today. Three American service members were killed in that attack. It was an attack that was ordered by Iran, and it was an attack that uh, was carried out by one of these uh, militia groups that acts as an arm of the nation of Iran. And I texted my son Thomas, who'd been stationed in uh, Jordan, and I said, uh, I said, is that your base? He said, yes. He said, that was the base that I was stationed at, on, now under attack uh, by a group that is a puppet group of the country of Iran. Uh, definitely, those people are an enemy from a physical standpoint. No question about that. Now, is there a spiritual component behind it? Yes, 100% there is. But uh, they are the enemy. And I, 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 when I was thinking about this and thought, what if it were my son uh, serving on that American Air Force base in Jordan? What if it were my son? Because three American families tonight are heartbroken over the loss of their children. I'm going to say something. Weak leadership in the highest level, and if you don't know who I'm talking about, his name is Biden. Weak leadership on the highest level has turned this world into chaos. Absolute chaos. All weeks ago, Biden said he warned Iran, don't do anything, don't do anything. 150 times American interests, assets, or bases have been attacked in the last several months in small ways, what we consider small ways. But let me tell you something. It's not small for a family that lost a loved one. It's not small. Well, Pastor, there could have been more. There could have been, but there didn't have to be any. American weakness on the world stage is at an all-time low. And it's shameful that this is being tolerated in our country. I hope in the next election that that is turned around. I hope for a solid win by Donald Trump. That is what I hope for. I used to say, Pastor Monty, you shouldn't talk like this from the pulpit. You know, I'm going to. I'm going to. The left says all they want to. But I'm hoping for that because the future of our country, the future of our kids, the future of those who are honorably serving in the armed forces, their future is largely dependent upon who is running the show. And right now, we don't really know who is running the show. Uh, we don't know. But it, it, I, I want to say that because it kind of plays into what I have to talk about. So, um, <clears throat> tonight, we consider the fact that our enemy, our opposition, is not from flesh and blood. And that means a human being who's a lost person. That means a human being who's a Christian. Other Christian people are not my enemy. I, I, I shudder about that to think that some people view other Christians as an enemy if they're a little different in some way or another. Uh, they're not the enemy. Other church members are not the enemy. The enemy we found out this morning is not flesh and blood, but is the devil. And then defined even further as principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, part of our strategy 
to overcome Satan and his wiles and to gain ground in this world is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want you to look with me, please, beginning at verse number 19. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse number 19. The Bible says this, and I'll give you the background so we can put this all into context in a moment. The Bible says in verse 19, For though I be free from all men, uh, Paul said he had certain freedoms, and he had certain freedoms that could not be taken away by other individuals. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all for a purpose, that I might gain the more. In other words, he said, I'm I'm not coming under slavery to another man's convictions or peculiarities, but he said, there is a sense in which I'm going to serve, and if I'm going to serve someone, then I need to adapt to certain things. And so in verse number 20, by the way, one of the most misused verses in the Bible, often used to accommodate compromise that is unacceptable but a verse that gives us an attitude to remaining relevant in this world and reaching people where they're at. Verse number 20. Well, verse 19, so you can get the flow. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant to all, that I might gain the more. In other words, I want to reach more people. I want to influence more people. It's not specific, the gain, but I want to influence more people. Later on, we find it's the gospel. For unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law. Now Paul wasn't under the law. He wrote the whole book of Galatians to debunk the myth that he was still under the law. He's not. But he says to those who are under the law that have a conscience about the law, he said, "I, I act as if I'm under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law. This is descriptive of Gentiles, whether believers or lost people. To them that are without the law, as without the law. Not being without the law to God, but under the law to Christ. Okay, now listen carefully. Antinomianism. What is antinomianism, Pastor? Against law. Antinomianism is not Christian. God has moral requirements that are given to us in the Bible. The Ten Commandments are a good place to start. Well, you say, Pastor, what about all those rules in the Old Testament about not eating pork? Okay, no, 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 no. All that's done away with. You read Acts chapter 10, you'll figure that out. Those laws that are unique to Israel are done away with. But all of the moral laws of God are repeated in the New Testament. Did you hear what I just said? All of the moral laws of God (coughs) are repeated in the New Testament. So he says, now, to them that are without the law, the Gentiles, uh, they don't have any rules, regulations, standard, or morality. He said, I'm without, I act as without the law. In other words, I'll be willing to (coughs) eat something unclean, being not without the law to God, but under the law to Christ. Why? That I might gain them that are without the law. In other words, Paul was saying, I don't want to offend people that have a tradition of certain rules, Jewish people, people under the law. Also, he said, I don't want to offend people who don't have these laws, and by my placing the yoke of the burden of the law upon them, I would (coughs) offend them. I'll show you something in another passage in a moment. Then verse 22. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. Now everyone look this way. Pastor Monty, what, what does that mean? Someone who is physically weak? No. 
When Paul uses the word weak, he has reference to people who have a little bit of an underdeveloped conscience, or we might say an overly sensitive conscience, okay? That's, that's the idea. It doesn't carry with it a negative connotation that we think of in the word weak. When we think of someone being weak, we say, yeah, you know, he's just sort of a weakling. That's a negative connotation. It doesn't carry that at all. It is a distinction for someone who has a more sensitive conscience as opposed to someone who has a less sensitive conscience. And he says this, to the weak became I as weak that I might gain the weak. In other words, I'm going to be careful that I don't damage my influence over secondary issues. Why? I want to gain the weak. I am made all things to all men. Why? That I might by all means save some. And this is done voluntarily. You say, well, Pastor Monty, was, was Paul required to do this? No, no, voluntarily. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Well, what was the issue? I'm not preaching on this issue per se tonight, but in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, you will miss the entire meaning of the passage if you do not understand that that is one gigantic argument. He said, Pastor, what was the issue? Well, they were dealing with this Jew-Gentile thing, and the key issue at this point given in the Scripture was, is it okay for a believer to eat meat that has been offered to an idol? <coughs> is that acceptable behavior? And he goes through, and rather than saying yes or no, and it would have been very easy for Paul just to say, no, 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 we made a rule, the Jerusalem Council met, we made a rule. He doesn't do that. He goes through the entire line of argumentation. And he says, well, it is legitimate to eat meat, okay, because meat is just meat. Well, meat used to be meat. Some real questions about this stuff they're serving up made of bugs. How many of you have heard about that? Yeah, and this stuff, these veggie, these veggie burgers, folks, now listen. I put veggies on the burger, not in the burger, okay? I, uh, th this generation is so confused about so many things. Uh, but the issue was meat, okay? The issue, the question was meat. You say, well, Pastor Monty, couldn't Paul just have, have laid down the law? Sure he could have, but he didn't do it. Why? Because that's just another rule. But Christian maturity talks about how I conduct myself, listen carefully, in relation to different people. So in chapter 8, he makes a great argument that really these idols, we know there's only one God and these idols, they sacrifice into the idols, you know, it's just kind of a, a thing that they do. But he said, if I love someone enough, I would be willing to abstain from this type of meat because I love them. I don't want to put a stumbling block in their way. In chapter nine, the theme is one of restraint, okay? I'm going to, I have a right to do certain things, but... I'm going to restrain my rights for the sake of my influence for the gospel. In chapter 10, he talks about association. He says, now you don't want to overtly associate with anything that has a pagan connection because connected to the paganism is not just the, the false idol, but it is the demonic presence that is behind that idol. That's the whole argumentation of chapter 10. Now, look at, look at, if you will, at the end of chapter 10 very quickly. At the end of chapter 10. He says this, verse 23. You would think that Paul was coming down as you read it to just saying, so the answer to you, Corinthians, is no. 
you can't eat meat that's been offered to idols. You really, when you read the argumentation, that's where you feel like it's going. But in chapter 10, verse 23, Paul says this, all things are lawful for me. Wow, it's a pretty big statement, right? Ha ha, Pastor Bonnie, good. Anything I want. Whoa, whoa, hold on, tiger. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. The word expedient means beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. So Paul said, I want to look at things from a standpoint of, is it beneficial, and does it also edify another individual? And then Paul says this, let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth, or in other words, their well-being. And he says this in verse 25, whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that is the meat market, that's Kroger, if you want to overpay for your food. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, Kroger, that eat, asking no question for conscience sake, okay? Uh, First century Christian, someone serves up a steak. Well, I'll tell you what, there's nothing like a ribeye. Boy, I've got a good crowd here tonight, amen. It's greasy and fatty and flavorful, and and, uh, I love it when it's just uh, rare. Do you love rare? I love rare. By the way, by the way, for those of you, I don't like that blood. Look it up. That's not blood. Okay, look it up. That's not blood. You, you, now I've got, don't look it up now. Some of you just <laughs> grab your cell phones to look it up. But you can look this up later. Uh, but, you know, uh, back to where, okay. So, so that threw me for a minute. Okay, whatsoever is sold in the shambles at the Kroger, eat, asking no question for conscience sake. Just eat it. Just eat it. Someone, years ago, someone said, well, Pastor Monty, you, you can't buy ice cream from uh, Baskin Robbins, I think it was, 31 flavors, because they're owned by the Mormon church. And then someone said uh, that you can't do this because so-and-so owns them, you can't do that. Boy, pretty soon you get that list so long, you better just have a big garden because of all that. Don't, don't ask questions, okay? Do not tell me that my ice cream is Latter-day Saint ice cream. Don't tell me about that. I don't want to know. Just eat it. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. What is the reasoning behind it? Well, God made everything, okay? Just, just in, eat it and, and be quiet. But here's a different set of circumstances, okay? This is a different way to respond because of a circumstance that's different. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast and ye be disposed to go, you can go, by the way, and eat food with unsafe people. Nothing wrong with that. Whatsoever is set before you eat, asking no question for conscience sake, or just don't ask where it came from. But if any man say unto you, this is offered and sacrifice unto idols, look what it says, eat not. Does everyone see that? There may be an occasion to eat, and there may be an occasion to eat not. What is the thing, well, Pastor Monty, that's inconsistent. No, it's not. It's very consistent with Christianity. So if someone says it's offered and sacrificed to idols, eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. And we are looked upon sometimes by people judged by their own conscience, the other person's conscience, okay? And then he says this, he says, for if by I by grace be partaker, because I'm saved, I'm saved by grace, I can eat this meat, doesn't matter where it came from, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? Yet someone else may be negatively affected by it. Then he says this, whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And then verse 32, the verse we always forget about. Give none offense, neither to the Jews. Easy to offend the Jews, especially the first century era Pharisaic Jews. 
had a million rules about everything. Very easy to offend them. Jesus numerous times offended them. His disciples numerous times offended them. He says, give not offense, neither to Jews nor to Gentiles. Whoa, 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 Gentiles. How in the world do you offend a Gentile? Ever thought about that? I mean, it's easy to offend a Jew. They have different sets of silverware for, for meat, and for milk, and they never mix those two sets of silverware. They're Orthodox Jews. They never mix those two. If you mix it all up, it's a, it's, it's a really bad thing to them, okay? So that's, they're sensitive about a lot of picky little things. How in the world do you offend a Gentile? Do you know how? By pushing something on them that is not scriptural. Pastor Monty, what do you mean? Did you know it's possible to be so stringent in regard to lost people that your peculiarities turn them off to the gospel. Possible. We don't have that problem in our church, let me assure you of that, but I want to give you an example so you know what I'm talking about. The Amish church, all of you are familiar with the Amish? Okay, you, you, I want to make a statement here. They have no voice in our culture. And they're happy with it that way. They have no voice. Well, but because they, they dress in that peculiar way and they, they live all separate from everybody else. And sometimes it's kind of neat to go visit them. Most of us would want to live that way, but they have no voice. Now, remember what I said back in chapter 9. Paul said, I am all things to all men for the gospel's sake. There is a sense where religion can go to seed and then it becomes a stumbling block to lost people, and they say, well, if I'm required, and, and this is just a lost person saying this, well, if I'm required to do that in order to go to heaven, I guess I'm not going to make it, when that is no requirement at all, but some people make it appear so. And an extreme example would be the Amish. So he says, give none offense to Jew, nor to Gentile, nor to the church of God. In other words, we're to be careful how we conduct ourselves among Christian people, even among Christian people. Why? Because Paul says this, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, what's good for me, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. We live, ladies and gentlemen, in a rapidly changing world. I don't think I need to remind you of that. In fact, it's, it's changing so quickly, it is hard to keep track of. I don't know about you, but I'm not a person who likes change. When I say that, I feel like I almost tempt heaven because then change comes my way rather rapidly. How, how many of you realize how much you've been forced to change in daily life over the last 15 years? Yeah, yeah. So for example, <clears throat> I personally like to talk to people and I like face-to-face. -face. I like to go to the bank and have a teller to talk to, and people, I know their name, okay? And, and we have social banter back and forth. I, I enjoy that. I, I don't go, I still bank there. I took most of my money away from there because I don't like it, but I still do some of my banking at Chase Bank. Chase Bank and Avon <coughs> took away the tellers. And I walked in and I had a, 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 some kind of money order thing. I needed cash, something like that. I said, well, where's the teller? Oh, they had a manager there. You don't need, we don't use tellers here anymore, but we use this machine, this machine. 
And I said, I, I would like to just cash this. Well, you can't cash it. You have to deposit it first. Control, 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 control. Take over your life. Okay, so you have to deposit it first. I said, well, how do you work this thing? It wasn't a regular ATM. It seemed more complicated than that. And the person said, well, I'll be, I'll be happy to show you. I said, you know, I don't like this. You know what he said to me? Well, that's your generation. <laughs> what? He said, the young people love this. And I said, the young people don't have any money in this bank. My generation is the one with the money. You ought to be catering to us rather than to them. Oh, but we've got to move, blah, 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 okay. So he ran the thing in the machine, and it was some odd money order thing, this was a couple years ago, and it was very faintly printed, and the machine took it, ate it, and couldn't read it. And he, well, I said, just give it back to me. I'll find a bank that, and he said, well, I can't get it out. I can't get it out. It took days to figure this out. They had to dismantle the thing or someone had to come and deal with it. I'm telling you folks, I don't like change. I don't like change. When I, when I go to a restaurant, I want to talk to a waiter or a waitress, okay? I don't like filling out things on these little boxes and, and computer. I don't, I'm, I don't like that. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. We're stuck with it. How many know we're stuck with it? We're stuck with it. I told my wife one day, if I could turn the clock back 50 years, with the exception of advances in medical science, which have been uh, in many ways miraculous, if I could turn the back clock back 50 years, I'd do it if everyone had to go with me. <laughs> we don't like change. But one thing that's true of the Lord's Church, the Lord's Church through the ages, I want you to think about this, has always been nimble. Pastor Monty, what do you mean by nimble? I mean, we have an ability to adapt to change and to address it. Now listen carefully to the wording. I said adapt, not accommodate. Accommodate is another word for compromise. We're not compromising with our culture, but we learn to adapt to it. So think, think about this. Our methods that we use here are vastly different from the methods of the early church. Okay, what was the early church? The early church involved meeting in homes, typically. Very quickly, by the way, in the late first century and into the second, they had separated meeting places, which we call churches. But initially, it was typically open-air preaching or meeting in homes. Then the preaching ultimately ended up in church buildings. When we were in Philippi, we were able to see a very early uh, church building that was the remains of which are still in the city of Philippi. Uh, then, but it was still preaching without a microphone. Then someone discovered something called sounding boards, which were some kind of thing that was put over the top of the preacher that echoed his voice out further. And then came the miracle of the microphone. Okay, now, Paul never saw a microphone. Paul never saw a microphone, but that, that we, we adapted. That was something new. Then we adapted to using a microphone. And now, preaching is not just open air in one location. It is all over the world. Right now, there are people all over the world watching this service live. It is a methodology that is vastly different from the first century, and yet the Lord's Church was able to adapt. By the way, do you know what group of people were the most nimble 
in their adaptation of new technologies. Does anyone know? It was the conservative evangelical or fundamentalist. It was uh, Dr. Charles E. Fuller, who was an evangelist, a fundamental evangelist, who had the first nationwide coast-to-coast radio show in the history of radio. My pastor, Dr. Clearwaters, way back (coughs) in the day, he heard that an FM radio station was coming for sale in Minneapolis and that he would have to pay the astounding sum of $3,000 to own the 100.1 spot on the FM dial. He bought it. There was only one problem. FM receivers were not available. How many remember the days of AM only? Wow, okay. AM only. FM, I know some of the young people can't believe what I'm saying. FM radio was at one point cutting edge. Clearwaters bought that to start a Christian radio station. Well, how do you listen to something when there's no radios? Here's what you do. You order radio kits and you have the men of the church build them. He put an FM tower on the top of the church and all the men got together and built these FM radio receivers and they were able to listen to the new Christian radio station in town. Many, many, many decades later, that church sold. I think it's unfortunate they sold their spot on the dial because the 100 spot is very far-reaching. They sold that for over $18 million. Talk about an investment. But, but why? <clears throat> because Clearwaters, well, definitely what you'd, my pastor, you'd call a fighting fundamentalist. He was also nimble regarding things, listen to the next words, in order to stay relevant. In other words, this was a methodology. Now, I, I guarantee when he bought that, there were detractors who thought he was crazy. Or, no, nah, maybe we shouldn't go that way. Or, or, Pastor, don't you think that the radio stations are all worldly? <laughs> I, I'm sure there were detractors. But that radio station over the years, thousands upon thousands of people came to Christ by listening to WCTS, Witnessing Christ to Sinners, WCTS FM, the Bible station. Well, thank God for that. You know, the Lord's Church has always been that way. We were some of the first to break into television ministry. The old-time gospel hour, we had the ministry of Dr. D. James Kennedy, the Coral Ridge Hour, and various programs even predating that. Tremendous influence. But then something happened. Back in that day, I was talking to one of our men, uh, meeting with him in kind of discipleship, and asked me some questions. Back in that day, the key issue was the gospel's sake. We just read that in our Bible. But somehow people got away from that. Rather than focus on the gospel's sake, people turned on one another. I talked to a very famous pastor, I won't give his name, very influential, some years ago. And I asked him what happened. He'd been kind of a front row seat to conservative evangelical things. I said, what happened? He said, yeah, back in the day, he said, our churches, speaking of churches like this, he said, our churches were the most evangelistic church in town. He said, I can tell you today, <coughs> he said, when I travel across the country, and he said, the independent Baptist church was the largest church in its community. Now, I'm not worried about the size of a church. 
but he was using that as an illustration. He said, today that's not true. He said, oftentimes our churches are much, much smaller today. And I asked him, I said, what is the difference? And he said, it's very simple. He said, at one point we had a great burden for souls and a desire to win people to Christ. And he said, somewhere along the line, that turned to a desire not to be the most evangelistic church in town, but to be the most correct church in town. To be the church that was the most right, or the most as far to the right as you could possibly go. Now listen carefully. All of these churches, every one of them, agreed on fundamental Bible doctrine, but they started bickering with one another over minor secondary issues. Did you know that there was a day and time when the independent Baptist movement was so influential in this nation that no Republican candidate for presidential office would miss speaking at Bob Jones? How many knew that? Every one of them did. They sought it out. Why would they want to go there? Because they wanted the imprimatur, the approval, of conservative Bible-preaching people. They wanted the endorsement of leaders to get that block of voters to vote for them. Today, none of them will speak there. We say, why? Culture has changed. Time has changed. But we managed historically to diminish ourselves to the point of near irrelevance, I think in large part by infighting. I'm I'm doing a little bit of an autopsy tonight. In large part by infighting. But then I read my New Testament and I find out the spirit and the heart of the Apostle Paul. Back in chapter 9, verse 19, He said, for though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant to all that I might gain the more. What is the goal? Increased gospel influence. The goal is not to pick apart other Christians. Paul warned about that, by the way. He said, if you bite and devour one another, take heed lest you be consumed one of another. The goal is not to bite and devour. It's an increased gospel influence. Everything is secondary to the gospel. Secondary issues may be important, but listen carefully, they don't take center stage over the gospel. It means this, if the goal is an increased gospel influence, then the means of achieving that is relevance. Relevance. To be relevant. What Paul said, when I became all things to all men, He was saying, I want to be relevant and relatable to everyone. Let let, let me give you an example. Um, You're sitting in an example. I love this auditorium. Now, I'm going to be frank with you. When we first moved in here, I felt like a fish out of water. Jack, I felt like a fish out of water. It was too big. It was different. And it filled up way too quick. Uh, And I did. I, I would tell you, honestly, for the first six months, every Sunday I had anxiety. When I, and every Sunday, I just want the old church back. Anyone else feel that way? <laughs> okay, there's a couple of you. That's how I felt. But I recognized that God was, I had to come to the point, to be frank with you, I had to come to the point where I recognized God's doing something bigger than I imagined. And so when we designed this, we sat down with the designers. I had very little to do with this. We sat down with the designers and said this, we want it to be modern, traditional. That's what we said. In other words, when people come in, I want it to look like a church, because this is not a warehouse. We do not make pallets here. 
We do not have a pallet jack up on the platform. I don't understand the fascination with pallets to save my life. I don't, I don't get it. It's become a national fetish. It's ridiculous. I, I don't understand it. But I also want it to be modern. So you look at the ceiling, that's modern. Those things that are up there, those are called clouds, that's modern. And I've had more people walk in here and say, wow, this is a tremendous mix of traditional and yet modern. Well, why, Pastor Monty, why is the modern part important? The word relevance, the word re relevance. See, some individuals and churches lose their relevance over time. Now, let me talk for a moment about this, and I'm going to give you a definition. I'm, I'll, I'll go quickly tonight. I can wrap this up fast. Some of you are looking at your watch. What is irrelevance? Irrelevance is when I'm stuck in the past. That's what irrelevance is. And I, I'm going to quote Kerry Newoff, Christian author. I've recommended his books in church before. He said, quote, Irrelevance happens when the language, methods, or styles you use no longer connect to the culture and people around you. And think about the Amish. They would be a glowing example of this. Essentially, you end up speaking a language people no longer understand or appreciate. Irrelevant people eventually lose the ability to communicate meaningfully with the people they care about and to contribute to the causes they're passionate about. You ever heard of the generation gap? Today, it, it comes so much more easily. It's hard to keep up with the nomenclature of our culture because that changes over and over again. And yet, if we're going to communicate to them, we have to. It's difficult. He goes on to say this, sometimes it leaves people frustrated and confused as to why no one gets them anymore. Ever been there? Uh-huh, I have. Frustrated and confused, no one gets me anymore. In other cases, irrelevance leaves them surprisingly unaware that their influence has eroded or just plain gone. How, how do we as a church, how do I as an individual maintain an ability to speak into the culture and to speak into the lives of a younger generation? I do that by remaining relevant. I need to remain relevant. The Amish have absolutely no voice because of their relevance. So the goal is gospel influence. The means by doing that is relevance. And, and what is the approach? This is something none of us likes. Change. Oh, Pastor Monty meant he's about to announce something. No, not announcing anything. But we all know that we have to bend a little bit. Okay, let me give you an example. See those screens up there? They're pretty. They're pretty. Pastor Monty, you don't use them very much. It would take me longer to write and make up a PowerPoint than it would to make up a sermon. So no, I'm not using them. When we have enough people, I'll hire someone to make up PowerPoints. They'll have to make them up at 6 o'clock in the morning, Sunday mornings. But, uh, uh, you know, that wasn't so, I wasn't big on that, but I, 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 I'm fine with it. Okay, why? I'm fine. And by the way, some of you just love it because you say, I can finally see the words, the hymns. Good, good. You know what? That's neutral. Do you know why? Because if I love the mission more than the method, then that little external change doesn't affect me. You know what will stir up people in church like ours quicker than anything else? Seeing anything different. Uh, that we shouldn't be that way. We shouldn't be that way. Well, Pastor Monty, we, we ought, it all ought to look just like it did in the 1980s. I love the 80s. Did you love it? I loved it. It wasn't minimalist. It was maximalist. Remember that? Remember the size of a Lincoln Continental in the 1980s? 
That was a boat, okay? How many remember the big hair, boom, of the 1980s? That was, that was super, I love the 1980s, but I can't live there anymore, okay? I, I, I can't do that. So sometimes we get all worried about appearance changes. Let me mention something. We had our music meeting a little bit ago. And um, our church has always been conservative, and we've always tried to maintain platform standards that are dignified and promote worship. It's harder now than it's ever been to do that because clothing styles are, are all over the map, okay? Some for the good, some for the bad. So you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna, the choir's gonna wear robes and the orchestra's gonna wear robes. Yeah, I've decided on that. That's just a, a, a decision I've made. Do you know what that will help us with, okay? That, oh, Pastor Money, I can't believe. No, 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 calm yourself. I grew up in a church where the choir wore robes. Okay, I grew up that way. It, it, very fundamental, the fundamental church in Minneapolis to be a part of. And actually, that's that little change, and it is little, okay? That little change is kind of a tipping the hat a little bit to traditional. Is our church not traditional in its cultural style? I think that it is. It's kind of a tipping of the hat that way but it also solves a myriad of problems, okay? Because I want our platform to look the right way. So I want, uh, uh, Pastor Monty, you've got to crack down on the dress code. I had rather poke needles in my eyes, okay? I'm I'm dead serious about that. I'm I'm not going to be the dress code police. I think it's creepy. When an adult man tells an adult woman how she ought to dress, I think it's creepy, okay? And and I'm not going to do that. But you know what this allows us to do? For 15 minutes, you wear a nice, and I have interchangeable colored collars. It'll be black. Why buy black, Pastor Monty? A slimming effect, folks. Okay, let's just be real. Black has a slimming effect, okay? And it'll have a colored collar, and it'll look nice, and it will keep everyone uniform. And that way, if somebody wears something garish, that way it'll cover it up. Now, not that anyone in our church would wear anything garish. Wink, wink. But maybe someone would. Well, that, that, it'll have a uniform look. It'll, by the way, it will promote a spirit of worship. I'm just so, I, I'm, 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 and our choir is receptive to it. At least they haven't <laughs> tarred and feathered me yet. And 15 minutes. And I think it'll add people to the choir because some people, a lot of men don't even own a sports coat or a suit coat anymore, but they'd gladly sing in the choir if they didn't have to worry about that. Does everybody follow what I'm saying? I think it's a very, very good way to keep our principles, but it's a little bit of a change. But it keeps our principles. Okay, now, now follow what I'm saying. You say, Pastor Monty, that's different. It's different, old school, different. But a lot of churches still use them. Don't think we're you know, turning the clock back that far. But what I'm saying is this, it's just a minor little change. And I think people will come to appreciate it. By the way, if you're joining the choir, uh, you're welcome to join the choir. We need to know about that so we can get, you'll have your own robe with your own number so you don't smell like somebody, okay, <laughs> over time. Um, the approach simply is, is change. I want to speak into the culture with technology that I don't understand, but they do and words that they understand, and I have to learn their nomenclature. Why? Because Ephesians 4 tells me that my goal is to speak the truth in love. So here's what I'm saying. In order to reach our culture, we have to be on the cutting edge, listen carefully, 
where we can be. Change the music style. Nope. 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 But in some things, to maintain our principles, we have to be creative and we have to think of ways that will work and ultimately, listen carefully, that will not offend and will enable us to have a greater outreach. I want you to think about this for a moment. If we, and I'll close with this, if we lose the next generation because of our stubbornness, that would be a shame. If we lose the next generation because we worship how things used to be, we worship the method more than the message, that would be a shame. If we lose the next generation, and I want you to hear me on this, and this is not a problem at our church, but if we lose the next generation because we just generally have a bad attitude, that would be a crying shame. But if we as a church love people where they're at, teach them, I mean where they're at, they're all over the board in this church now, teach them, love them, embrace them, and demonstrate Christ to them, in a way that is non-offensive, not unnecessarily offensive, in such a manner as that, we will maintain a relevance that will bring us into the coming days. There's no change in the church, fundamentally, no, by no means. But God's brought us a long way. In February be 26 years that I've been here. Never in a million years would I have imagined this. And I feel, and we're still feeling our way through it. We're still figuring it out. You know that. But to God be the glory, great things he hath done. And I feel like this church is poised in heart, attitude, and spirit to reach the next generation. And I just want to say as your pastor, thank you for being a part of this. Uh, It's been a growing experience. How many of us are growing experience? been a growing experience, but I'm thankful to God for what he's doing, and we're going to trust him through the entire thing. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we love you and thank you for your blessing upon us. Thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to open the word of God and to understand that we have to remain relevant in order to speak into the heart of the next generation. Lord, if we become curmudgeonly critical and mean-spirited toward everything that changes so rapidly, rapidly in our culture, we'll lose their ear. Give us, I pray, a spirit of greater discernment and then a spirit of greater creativity to find platforms that are unique to this generation and to use those platforms to speak to hearts that the gospel might be promoted, that we may gain the more. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our midst. In Jesus' name, stand everyone with me, please.